Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what is the backstop? Leave your shame at the door. There is no place for embarrassment here if you have no clue what the backstop is. Many of us will have gone happily through the past three years, assuming we don't really need to know what the backstop is, and that is totally okay. But with Boris Johnson now settling into number 10 and the Halloween Brexit deadline getting even closer, it is impossible to get through a day without hearing about it. Depending on where you live, it'll more than likely be referred to as the hated or undemocratic backstop or the cast iron and vital one. But what exactly is it and why has it caused all of this drama? So to take away all of our shame and embarrassment, we have two experts in the room, Shona Murray, Europe correspondent with Euronews, and the Journal.ie's Brexit reporter, Gronje Nye, now a very familiar voice with The Explainer, is back. Hey everyone. Hello. Hello. Gronje, we're turning to you first to start off our glossary at the start of this episode. Um, and because there are no stupid questions about the backstop, um, can you just give me, if you had to explain what the backstop is to a colleague when you're getting into the lift and going to the fourth floor of Journal headquarters, what would you say to So the backstop is a plan B or a safety net so that if the future trade talks that haven't happened yet between the UK and the EU don't work out, the backstop will kick in and avoid a hard border on the island of Ireland and keep things as they are at the moment. It only kicks in if the withdrawal agreement passes. And this is the thing that isn't getting through the House of Commons at the moment. Um, And the way it will do that is it will align the regulations between Northern Ireland and Ireland or the UK and the EU Uh, so that they don't require a hard border to enforce their rules. The reason why this is so important is because if the UK leaves the EU, they can change their rules dramatically from what they are at the moment. And that border needs to be enforced to represent the different rules. So if the backstop comes into play through the withdrawal agreement, it will keep the regulations the same. And they'll do that by keeping the UK in the customs union, which is the UK's. And mechanism. the current guise of the backstop is to keep the entire UK, not just Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland and mainland UK in the customs union of the EU. Yeah, at the, at the start, it was just Northern Ireland and the plan is really for Northern Ireland. And at the moment, it is UK wide. If you think about the backstop as basically a breakdown assistance policy, so your car might not break down, future trade talks might not break down, or it might not work the way we think they will work. And if that does happen, the backstop will keep things. It will tow us along up to a point and will keep Northern Ireland the same up to a point where another fix can be found that will replace the backstop. And that can be a future trade deal way off in the future. It can be technological solutions or alternative arrangements, um, whatever that might be. So what we have in place currently that avoids any border is the customs union and the single market. What is the customs union? So I suppose what what we have in place is we have um, every single member state, 28 member states in the European Union, the UK, Northern Ireland and Ireland is in that. And the reason why we're able to have the Good Friday Agreement in the first place is because we're all members of the EU. So therefore you could be Irish uh, living in Belfast or British living in Belfast. But because we're all members of the EU, we have the same uh, passports, the same uh, ability for self-determination and all of the goods that flow around are tariff-free, which is the customs union. The customs union essentially is about taxes and quotas that uh, protect the European Union's trade policy with the rest of the world. And then we also have the single market, which we know allows for the free flow of goods, services, capital and people around the 28 member states. 
when the UK leaves the EU and doesn't want to be in the single market in the customs union, it means that the difference between the UK and Northern Ireland and Ireland and the rest of Europe is that we'll have different tariffs. Which means we will, uh, so any goods that come in to the, um, to the EU from the UK, i.e. Northern Ireland, we will be obliged, Ireland, to apply EU's tariffs because they're not in the EU anymore. Basically, taxes on goods. And in particular, it's bad for Northern Ireland because agriculture is such a big um, industry. And tariffs, by and large, go up to around 40%. Um, that's taxes applied to those goods, which means they will be decimating uh, the, the industry in, in Northern Ireland. Similarly, with um, regulatory environment, which is the single market, or if the UK does its trade deal with the US, for example, and they have things like um, GMO crops, chlorinated chicken, we've all heard about that, that is not legal within the EU single market. So therefore, we have to protect the single market from those get those goods getting in. How we do that? Checks on the border. And that's the problem. One of the reasons as well, like people say the EU are standing by Ireland, but as well, if you don't have a border control there, that is a backdoor essentially to the EU's market that can be contaminated, for want of a better word, and makes all those rules and regulations they've set in place null and void if they can get in through Northern Ireland. So that's a good place to ask you what regulatory, regulatory alignment means in this glossary that we're looking to to establish. Because before, like the backstop, when we first heard about it, when it was agreed upon in December 2017, it was first mentioned that it would be a regulatory alignment. That's all we kind of knew. And that was what what that means is basically if post-Brexit UK doesn't have the exact same rules as the EU, then they would have very, very similar to the point that you wouldn't, you know, they would be basically the same so that you would avoid checks on the border. So within that, are we talking about the customs union or the single market or both? So the customs union would involve uh, keeping the standards uh, and checks and rules on things like animal welfare is the big thing and uh, products and food is another big thing across the border. So it's mostly customs union and Shona mentioned tariffs as well that were they're paying the right price or the right tax on things to cross the border if we have a hard Brexit, for example, and when there would be different different tariffs and different taxes on those goods. So is the single market less problematic in terms of the backstop? No, actually, that it, it, it's not um, because uh, people always say that the customs union could solve the issue uh, if, let's say, the UK stayed in the customs union. But actually, I don't, I mean, that's not quite true. That's more just that people would love if they at least stayed in the customs union, you'd be at a better starting point. The single market actually is something that, um, you know, is the regulatory environment. So um, if you were in, like, for example, Turkey, is one of the only countries in the world is in the EU's customs union, but it's not a single market. So it has a lot of problems um, accessing the the environment. You don't have, for example, uh, Turkish people having access to the EU. You don't have Turkish um, capital getting into the EU. You don't have trade uh, doing very strong trade within Turkey and the EU because they have a different regulatory environment. Often it's seen as the standards would be lower than what would be required in the in the European Union. What they do have, Turkey, is access to our trade deals, but you know they, that would be limited as well because they don't have the same regulations and high standards that the European Union has. I think most people are clear that the backstop is only one part of a bigger agreement. Um, the withdrawal agreement, the divorce deal, is that all one thing? We just hear a lot of different terms. So uh, the divorce agreement is um, the sort of, I suppose, the point you get to uh, between the UK and the EU for the EU to be, or the UK to be able to leave the European Union um, in a seamless way. And after they leave, then you can negotiate the free trade agreement, which will replace the backstop. So the idea is 
first of all, the UK and the EU can't negotiate a free trade agreement while the EU, UK is still in the EU. That's a legal thing. So you hear a lot of this in Britain that I heard, you know, I've heard it on BBC Radio 4 over the last couple of days that the UK and the EU should be negotiating a trade agreement. They can't do that because it hasn't left. So we have the divorce settlement, which was, as we know, citizens' rights, the £39 billion or whatever, 40-odd billion euro that the UK owes to the EU after 45 years of membership. And that could be anything from structural funding to money towards yeah, universities in the UK. It's because, by and large, they're members of the European Union and they have to pay into the budget, like every other member state. So then the third thing is, of course, is the Irish border because the obligations under the Good Friday Agreement. So what the backstop does, it says, you have to make sure this border remains open. And the backstop is the only solution that has emerged. It's not that Ireland want to keep or the EU wants to keep the UK in the single market and the customs union. It's that there are no uh, technical solutions that can do that because it's it's more of a, it's not just a, um, a trade issue or regulatory issue. It's actually a political issue as well. So the backstop says, if it takes a while for the UK and the EU to renegotiate to, to negotiate a trade deal, which it will do because it's only given themselves two years in the transition period, then instead of that expiring and the, EU, the UK just drifting out, we'll have a backstop. And the backstop is that the UK will stay within the customs union, the single market until that trade agreement is agreed and satisfies the ability to get rid of the borders. So that's the entire UK stays within both the customs yeah. union and the single market. Pretty much. If... The backstop is needed. That's the backstop. Now, initially, uh, back in December 2017, what had happened was um, the backstop was only dealing with Northern Ireland. But, of course, the DUP had said, well, this isn't um, something we can abide by because it separates Northern Ireland from the rest of the UK. So there was heavy negotiations last year. And um, against the will of many member states, particularly France, the EU gave in and said, OK, we can have a UK-wide backstop, which means Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK is the same, but yes, you're still in the single market and customs union because you have to be in order to keep the border open on the Republic of Ireland. And the reason why that's a huge problem for so many Brexiteers is, A, they can't go off and do trade deals on their own anyway because the customs union, if you're in the customs union, you can't negotiate your own trade deals. Second of all, if you're in the single market, you can't change any regulations. So if the, if the um, British want to do their trade deal with the United States or Ghana or the Philippines, first of all, they're not allowed because trade is an EU competence. Like Ireland can't ever negotiate its own free trade agreement. It's only the EU competence. And second of all, because the US has much lower standards in various things than the EU, you That's can't where the sell them. chicken comes Exactly, chlorinated chicken, toys, you name it. Those standards don't reach EU standards. They're not more or less the same then therefore they won't be acceptable in the um, in the single market in, of the 28 member states. So you can't do those trade, do that trade. So it's hampering uh, Brexit completely. And it means, well, what's the point of leaving the EU anyway, then, if we have to stay in the single market and customs? And that's why they're so annoyed about it. And Grania, Shona mentioned the transition period there. It's actually something that I've found quite difficult to keep in my head. What exactly is the transition period now? So the backstop, uh, so in the withdrawal agreement, and that's, again, another part of the withdrawal agreement, uh, all these things, the backstop, stop included depend upon the withdrawal agreement passing. As of yet, that's actually just a draft and it can't get through the House of Commons. The transition period forms a part of that, which gives basically them space to get ready for the next phase. And the backstop is meant to kick in at the end of that if they don't negotiate a free trade deal, which seems unlikely. It was meant to run from the 29th of March, if you remember that first Brexit deadline. Mm -hmm. um, it was meant to go from then till December 2020. 
now we're a little bit along then. Um, so you'd assume that the same, if a withdrawal agreement does get passed, that they would extend the same time period. And there was also an option to extend the transition period for another two years if both parties agreed to it. So that would bring us up to 2022. And it's just a, a bit of breathing room uh, for both sides to kind of avoid the backstop really like that's it's a really important point that nobody wants this to happen but the UK have repeatedly said we want control over our own rules we want to do things our own way we want to trade uh, with countries we haven't traded before that all hints that there will be differences in Northern Ireland between Northern Ireland and Ireland if they leave so that means that we need something to ensure that there isn't that isn't going to lead to a hard border So just to be clear if during the, during that transition period if it goes to 2022 or 2023 the UK remains in the customs union and the single market. They do, yeah. That's the transition period. They have all of the, um, you know, the assets of the of the customs union single market. It's sort of a time. It gives them a chance to adjust uh, while the trade negotiations are going on, and a new trade deal is um, is complete. Now, the thing that nobody talks about is that in order for there to be no hard border and not use the backstop, you really need almost what we have already, the status quo ante, because. If the UK and the EU, UK leaves the EU and you're, you're figuring out a free trade agreement, you, everything has to be so closely aligned in that free trade agreement to avoid a border. So you're st- they, may not be, they may not be actually in the single market of the customs union, but they will still have to abide by pretty much all the EU regulations in order to prevent a border on the island of Ireland between Northern Ireland and uh, the Republic. Because if you still, if, 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 they, if they were still doing their chlorinated chicken deals, then the EU would have to make sure that those weren't getting into the single market. And if you think they adopt 90% of the EU's rules, but don't 10%, that will still probably still, you know, depending on what those are, require some sort of infrastructure to check that. So that's not just most or 90% or the vast majority. It's, it has to be everything or as close to it as possible. So I think there's been a lot of misunderstandings in the British media and it's something that has meant that this is way more in the the general everyday Irish person's mind, I think, a lot more. Um, And a lot of that has got to do with British press maybe not understanding why a hard border would generally lead to worries about peace. If you were trying to explain that to a British audience Shona, what what would you say? Well, the first thing is, I suppose, with the Good Friday Agreement, there is nothing that inset that says it, that says that's in it, that says there should be no border on the island of Ireland. Like that actually isn't in the Good Friday Agreement per se, but the spirit of it is because the idea, uh, the reason why we were able to have the Good Friday Agreement and open the borders uh, between Northern Ireland and Ireland is because of the single market. Because in the nineties, that's when the single market was created. It be, it created this borderless, uh, frictionless trade. Uh, area between and the UK was involved the Ar- Ireland was involved and at the same time the problem with peace and the problem with the I suppose the um, warring factions in Northern Ireland was that they had an ident- issues with identity I'm Irish I live in Belfast but I have you know the Queen and I have to use you know Sterling and I can't say my own language and but the, what the Good Friday Agreement did was grant everybody the ability to have their own um, identity their self-determination, like I said, you can be Irish and living in Belfast and have an Irish passport because the rules are the same for Ireland and the UK because in the, we're in this umbrella called the European Union. You put a border between, um, you know, Northern Ireland and the Republic and people who call themselves Irish are taken further away from their ability to actually 
self-determine as Irish people. And that's why it becomes a problem, because you're actually removing their identity from them in some way. And similarly, you know, with the unionists who say if you put a border down the Irish Sea between uh, GB, as they call it, and, and the North, you're separating unionists from the crown. And that's how they see it too. So that's why there's a huge dispute over it. Now, why would peace, why would uh, you know why would it derail peace? Well, because you'll um, escalate tensions again, ten- tensions that haven't really been properly dealt with in any sort of a transitional justice system. Like we've never had a truth and reconciliation process. Like a lot of the, the tensions have have been simmering, but because of the Good Friday Agreement and I suppose economic relative economic you know uh, progress and relative progress. They haven't come to the fore, but they will again. And if you put a border, then you have a focus for uh, paramilitary groups, groups that haven't gone away, who've decided that they never really want to engage in the peace process. Then you have somebody um, manning it. Who's manning it? Is it the British police? Is it the British military? You shoot one of those, one of those soldiers gets shot, then you have a heavier presence. So, and then it comes, and then it just gets worse and worse. And so that sounds like um, kind of, you know, that, you know, the, the exaggerating or, but it's not. I mean, we've seen it there in the past. When we travelled along the border uh, as part of the Brexit road trip, myself and Nikki Ryan, we heard again and again that when the border first went up on the island of Ireland, it was just a customs check borders. There were no police officers or heavy duty kind of military force there. But what happened was that was a symbol of division on the island of Ireland. It was a symbol that the north was different from the rest of Ireland and that became a target for dissidents. So when people say that in Canada and Switzerland, you know, we will have a frictionless as possible border, that doesn't really work because this is what we had before and it escalated. You had civil servants at post checking animal licenses and they became targeted and attacked. And then you put a police presence there to protect those civil servants. And then that escalated again to a military force with uh, armed kind of vehicles and that kind of thing and checking people's cars as they traveled through the border. That's what happened. So it's not going to be as straightforward as let's just put customs checks on the border to check animal licenses. You both alluded to earlier that this was agreed to <laughs> that the withdrawal agreement, including the backstop or the protocol on Ireland, was actually agreed to. How did that happen? So the backstop was agreed to at the end of phase one of the talks for the withdrawal agreement. So there was a lot of pressure on everyone to pass this phase to get on to the next one. Everything else had been sorted out. The, the divorce deal bill uh, that was so controversial. The rights of EU citizens living in the UK had been secured and they needed to get the Northern Ireland problem which fixed, which was the backstop. And Theresa May uh, agreed to the backstop. But basically, I don't think the EU- UK government as a whole really realised how contentious this would be. Boris Johnson and Michael Gove later admitted they didn't quite understand what it was about. And we're talking about there's no shame in not knowing what it was about. The UK government didn't know at the time what the backstop was. And this is why it was agreed to at the time. There was so much else going on. And that has kind of emerged as time has gone on to be such a big thing for the UK government to wrap their head around, partly as well because the DUP is in government with the Tories. Grania, Theresa May came up with 
a load of red lines. Well, maybe not a load. But Theresa May came up with red lines that underpinned a lot of the withdrawal agreement. But she did agree to the backstop. Now we've shifted to a Boris Johnson premiership and we're hearing all the time about how it's undemocratic. What's the argument for it being undemocratic? Okay, so I'll start with that second part, which is the undemocratic or anti-democratic thing, which he seems to be telling all EU leaders in these phone calls that he's making at the moment. Um, The idea is that uh, the backstop basically um, is is being imposed on Northern Ireland well, the UK wide at the moment. And that means that they'll be in a customs union, a single market. But if the UK leaves the EU, that means they have no control or no say in those rules that are being implemented in their territory because they've left. They're not part of the EU anymore, but they are still abiding by those rules. And if the EU changes them, they still have to abide by them no matter what, even though they're not a member anymore. So he's calling it anti-democratic for that reason. I think there's a bit of an irony there, though, because obviously Northern Ireland didn't vote and Scotland didn't vote to leave the EU, but they are under the same umbrella. There doesn't seem to be much democracy here at play at all in a general kind of sense. The difference between Theresa May and Boris Johnson is interesting because she had so many different issues at play and she took her eye off a couple of them and agreed to the backstop to secure the limitation of the free movement of people, which is part of the four freedoms that are part of the single market. So she wanted... She felt that I think the free movement of people or the immigration issue was the biggest thing for her to get right in the Brexit negotiations. And to do that, she had to leave the single market and also forgo the free movement of goods, capital and services as well. Um, Boris Johnson has seems to be focusing on the back. I think another uh, mistake the UK make is that the backstop is the biggest problem with the withdrawal agreement, even though Boris Johnson had said there were multiple problems with it. But it seems that if they get rid or change that somehow, that that will do it um, at this point. And remember, Boris Johnson voted for the withdrawal agreement the third time round as well and hasn't really explained why. So there, the backstop do, isn't as much an issue as the whole kind of Brexit idea isn't clear. And they seem to be focusing on one, one aspect of it, which is the backstop to kind of make things easier for the House of Commons to swallow, really. Shona, does all of this talk about the backstop, is it all rendered pointless if we do end up with a no deal like Mm. we're hurtling towards? Yeah, well, I, it's an interesting one because, I mean, uh, you hear people like Emily Matlis and people like that saying it to Irish politicians. Well, hold on a minute. Why are you pushing for this backstop? Because it may result in a no deal Brexit and therefore you'll have to put up a border anyway. So therefore, the, the idea is, well, Ireland should uh, renege on its principles for the, protecting the Good Friday Agreement. Um so the British can have its cake and eat it. And, you know, that seems inherently unfair. And as Grani was saying there, the other issue is it's there's a focus on the backstop. But actually, the backstop isn't really the problem with Brexit. The problem with Brexit is nobody knows what it actually is. And a lot of it doesn't make sense in actual fact, because, um, you know, the people who are there's many people, many MPs in the House of Commons who want to remain within the European Union. There are some who realise that if the UK goes off and does its own trade deals, they'll never be able to do the type of trade deals that the, they, they would do as a member of the European Union. There's so many colliding objectives. And at the end of the day, uh, the Good Friday Agreement is an international peace treaty that's probably one of the most successful peace treaties in, of the 20th century. And for Ireland to just renege on that and the UK not to do so, then that would be that would be very much wrong. And I think you can understand why the Irish government is pushing for it. And you see, I think another thing about, um, you know, the use of the language undemocratic backstop, although, you know, you can 
read into it and say it is undemocratic because the UK won't have their say in the European Union. The other thing is that the backstop isn't what everybody wants. The backstop is literally the only thing they can come up with. So, you know, the British have gone on about t- technological solutions and alternative arrangements, and they keep saying it, but they haven't once prescribed what those are. And they've been, a- they've been able to do, they've had since 2016 to come up with ideas. And even in the, um, you know, as we know, the withdrawal agreement or the divorce settlement is two pieces, the withdrawal agreement with the backstop and the future relationship, which also actually allows the sentences and language in it that says, if you can come up with alternative arrangements to the backstop, we will listen to you. But they haven't been able to do so. So the backstop isn't just a creation of Ar- for Ireland trying to trap the UK. It's actually just the only idea that exists to keep the border open. Is there any expectation then that Ireland can change its stance? Because there are criticisms now of the government. There was a, a, a big hoo-ha a couple of weeks ago that, you know, we should be we should be a little bit more sensitive or more conciliatory towards our neighbours. But is there any expectation that we can change tack now? Well, what could you do, though? Yeah, Sorry. I don't I don't think so, because like the two things that were mentioned is you make it Northern Ireland specific or UK wide. And both of those seem quite unpalatable. Uh, and the the other thing was that you make it uh, time limited. So at the moment, it's kind of uh, an indefinite time limit. That doesn't mean it'll go on forever. It's not permanent. It just means that they will continue it until another solution comes along. That could be technological arrangements or technical technological solutions if that technology comes along. Um, it could be an alternative arrangement if that comes along. The point is we keep it like this until you come up with a better idea and like what we're three years in and no one has yet that kind of is proof in itself that Mm -hmm. this is the best solution I think another thing that people say as well we won't have a hard border because nobody wants it yeah nobody nobody wants uh a hard border. Nobody wants to put it up. But if the rules are different, which person, which side is going to compromise their legal regulations or their new rules um, to to hold that border or to hold an open border? Neither will will do that. A hard border will go up. There's no deal. Last question on those that that WTO um, ruling, that WTO enforcement, they would have to put up a border on the first of November. If there is a no deal, what does that look like? What does that what WTO enforcement look like? Well, the worst thing about it is that um, the UK and the EU will have no treaties um, between them. So even like. Uh, in Ukraine, the border, you know, the European sort of border with, you know, parts of Ukraine or Russia, you know, there's some treaties in place, but very few. And so this will even be worse than that because they won't have anything in place. So actually, the people, some people I've been speaking to is that, well, I mean, the borders are going to be massive. Um, now, maybe not physically, but at least they'll have to be manned in some way. And we don't know how uh, or when, when that will happen, but it will have to. It will be definitely a demand of European uh, member states at some point. Will say, you know, sorry, but you can't. This stuff is, could easily anything could flow freely into the um, into the EU because of this open border. So the next day it may just be political chaos, but after that it could get uh, much more, you know, aggressive. And those aggressive demands, I know you can't look into a crystal ball, but are they letters to prime ministers? Are they phone calls? Are they this is threats to, of policing on borders? So unprecedented. Nobody really knows what will happen in a no deal Brexit. All of the, these are forecasts, are our estimations, our, our best guess of what will happen. Because like, what do you do when you sever all legal, social 
ties between t- diplomatic ties between nations. It's com- it's it's so confusing and it's a domino effect as well. Everything's linked. So once you cut, cut off a tie, um, you don't know what effect it will have on things you haven't even thought of yet. I think the, the one of the things that's so fascinating about Brexit is we realise how interconnected we all are, not just um, to other countries in the EU, but as well industries within um the one country, how they all operate and make lives easier because of that. And we just don't know how good or bad it's going to be in a no-deal Brexit until it actually happens. I think one of the things that the farmers, the Welsh farmers were told, uh, promised by Boris Johnson when he was there, was that the the government would pay them for the money they'd lose in exporting lamb to the EU. I mean, that means that, like, you know, farmers have to prepare for not having the ability to transport their goods outside of the UK because the UK, remember, won't have any trade deals either in place. Um, because we'll still have all their goods. Exactly. exactly. And where are they going to send it? And again, animals are very specific. Phytosanitary is huge. That won't that will be one of the areas that that is one of the areas that's most sort of demanding when it comes to checking. None of that stuff will get off the island of the UK. Well, I'm thoroughly glum now. So thanks very much, Shona and Grania. Thank you for listening to The Explainer. This episode was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bowen, producer Aoife Barry and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. I'm Sinead O'Carroll and we'll be back next week with a brand new topic. In the meantime, check out some of our other episodes. Last week, we took a fascinating dive into the battle royale world of Fortnite. And also in our back catalogue, there are episodes on the anacredial trial, why Ireland doesn't have a supervised injection centre yet, and on a similar theme to this episode, how Brexit could impact your fridge. If you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you and catch you next time.